Life gets complicated, doesn't it? Trying to fix the Wi-Fi is complicated. Working out the easing conditions of lockdown is complicated. As a church, meeting together under restrictions, when will we meet again? To work that out, it's a complicated matter. Juggling family relationships and commitments, it's complicated. Who would have ever thought that receiving GCSE, A-level, AS, higher level grades would be so complicated and complex? You see today with this story, it is with great joy that I can say that the heart of the good news of Jesus is not complicated. It is not complex. It's so very simple, yet can be so easily complicated if we don't get it right. The hymn writer John Newton summed it up pretty well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found, is the heart of the good news of Jesus. As we will see in the story uh, that Luke wants to tell us uh, today, just a wonderful, simple story that's got the heart of the gospel in it. Something lost is found. And don't lose this because you know that moment when you lose something precious and you find it again. There's just a moment of sheer unadulterated joy. Remember those moments? Look, something as simple as a mobile phone and you've lost it and you can't find it. And you get a friend or your wife or your husband to, to ring that phone a hundred times and you're scampering around the house trying to listen for the vibration of the phone. And then at last you find it and you left it in the car. And there's just a moment you're like, yes, get in. We were over in Northern Ireland at the moment and my Kerry's sister um, lost her cat. So we took a search party uh, around the uh, local area, um, ducking and diving under cars, through hedges. Um, final, final shout, I had to hurdle her, quite a high fence, duck down into a ditch, and there, the little face of Leo. <laughs> it's a moment, I was just shouting back, Tanya, found him. And look, I, I've got the, the scars to prove it, not quite the scars, um, but the uh, the bruises and the scratches to prove it. But it's a joyous moment, something that was lost is now found. Uh, one more, you watch an episode of Long Lost Family. Can you watch that uh, without watery eyes? You know that program, Davina McCall, and a family member that's been lost years and years, decades ago, is now reunited. It, it's a wonderful moment. Something that was lost is now found. That is the heart of the good news. And I think in the middle of summer holidays for many of us, in the middle of school holidays for many of us, this is just really good, simple news that we need to remember and reflect on and make sure that we don't complicate the heart of the gospel. So, let's look at this. 
Here, Luke. Do you remember Luke? Look, he's a doctor and he's also a historian. Uh, for we know in chapter 1, uh, verse 3, he carefully investigated. He's not haphazard in the way that he goes about things. Um, Luke is organised. Uh, he wants to put things in place for us, the reader, to understand in its most simple form uh, the essence of what Jesus uh, came to teach about and to do and to show us in his death and resurrection. Look, in, in chapter 9, verse 51, we get um, another insight in the way that Luke orders his accounts. Chapter 9, verse 51 reads this, As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So in all these wonderful stories that we've been looking at, his encounters, the encounters with the Lord Jesus, he's still on a mission. They're not haphazard. They're not just random meetings of people. Jesus is on a mission and he, in the middle of his gospel, Luke records that he resolutely, he turned his face towards Jerusalem because he's on a mission. He has business in Jerusalem. We know that that's where he died, where he rose again. And so the story that we look at in chapter 19, you've heard it read, this story gives us an insight into that great mission, all wrapped up in a nutshell, in this one man's life, Zacchaeus. So there's two points today, really quite simple, two points. Zacchaeus, a great sinner. Jesus, a great saviour. Let's not complicate this. Zacchaeus, a great sinner, Jesus, a great saviour. Look, Luke records some incidental detail that makes the story authentic. We know that it's real. 19 verse 2, look, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He's in charge of others, uh, which means that... He took many cuts from the Romans, which means that he was a, a very wealthy man, which meant that he was hated uh, by his fellow Jews. Hated. He was seen as an enemy because of his collusion with them uh, for taxes. But Jesus was passing by and Zacchaeus, look, he wanted to see him. We don't know why. We don't know what his motivation was. We don't know that. We don't read that in the story. <laughs> but he wanted to see him. And so we get that he's, he's a pretty resourceful man. Because Luke recalls that in verse 3, he's short. He could not see over the crowd. And Luke in includes this. And, and many commentators say, look, it's brilliant comical value from Luke. Uh, like if uh, we had a friend at university, poor Tez, and he was such a good lad. Uh, and... He kind of got on with the banter, but we ripped him for being so small. And it wasn't fair. But we would always go, hey, um, stand up, Tezza, as he was kind of stood next to you, chatting to you. Um, because it, it, it was like he was sitting down. He was so small. But he was a good-hearted lad, Tezza. And he got on with it, and he loved the joke, and he gave it back to others. It's like Luke is saying, hey, stand up, Zacchaeus. He's so short. The comical value is he has to find a tree to see Jesus. So look, verse 4. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Since he knew he was coming that way. 
on he goes, on ahead, and look, some incidental detail again, but it's, but it's wonderful to know that this story is authentic. Sycamore fig trees, they grow in a narrow strip of land in the Jordan Basin. They line the road to Jericho. And here's Zacchaeus. He just wants to see Jesus. Look, it's like the last time you saw a celebrity. Can you remember that? Where it was, perhaps in an airport, perhaps walking down a street. And you're starstruck. You do kind of funny things, don't you? You want a better view, so you cross the road. Or, or, or you crane your neck as to try and get a better view. Is that him? Is that her? Look, I remember in 1995, Carlisle United... They were third division champions and they had an open top bus round the streets of Carlisle. I was just a boy. Look, people were on balconies, they were up trees, um, they were standing on each other's shoulders just to get a glimpse of the champions, Carlisle United. I remember I was on my mate's shoulders, scarf outright. Look, you, you do funny things when there's celebrities in your presence, you, you want to see them. And, and same with Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus, and he's a resourceful man. But look, to compound our understanding of Zacchaeus, let's go to verse 7. Look what the people thought of him. Jesus had gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus, a great sinner. A scoundrel, a cheat, a liar. The word sinner there, it means unclean. Jesus has gone to eat with someone who is unclean. Someone who had, hadn't been ceremonially, ceremonially cleansed with God. They weren't right with God. Here's a danger for us. It's so very easy to be the crowd. To look upon someone else. To think that... They are the ones that are not right. She's a wrong one. He's a bad egg. I did it the other day in the park with the little ones. Listen, here's my pet hate of parks. I, I can't stand it when children run up slides. Can't stand it. So Corabel, Tommy and Talitha, they know fine well not to run up a slide. So I'm stood there and of course other children run up slides and Tommy's like, well, I want to do it as well. And so I'm looking at other parents and I'm, you know that feeling? I'm looking out the window and I'm pointing the finger at them. And the Bible doesn't let me look at others with condemning vision. The Bible helps me see me rightly. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that I'm absorbed with myself. That I've rejected God. Do you know at the age of 22, for the first time in my life, I, I realised that. But do you know, now I see that daily as a Christian. At the age of 22, uh, well, before that I wanted to naturally think that I was okay. Not as bad as the others. The first thing you see when your eyes are open to the truth. You see yourself as God, as the Bible, as Jesus see you. You see yourself as a sinner, someone who is not right, someone who is lost. I was speaking to a, a friend recently, asking him, them how they're understanding things of Jesus, how they're engaging with him. And do you know their answer? Well, I'm doing my best. I'm not perfect, but I am trying to follow him. 
And I was just wanting to scream out and say, no, 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 stop trying to do your best. See yourself for how the Bible sees you. I think I've quoted this before, but I've, I've really loved this quote from DC Talk. 22 years ago when I first understood this to this very day, I understand that I'm a man in need of a saviour. 22 years ago, to this day, I see a rage in battle inside of me. I've been given a new heart to follow Jesus, but the old enemy is within. And this quote from DC Talk just sums up, look, what it was like for me 22 years ago when I became a Christian. And what it is like for me today, understanding me in my old nature. Here's the quote, and it's a great song if you remember DC Talk. The disease of self runs through myself. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. Tell me what's going on inside of me. I despise my own behaviour. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a saviour. See, today as a Christian, I forget him. I still follow my selfish desires. 1 John verse 8 and 9 brilliantly helped help me understand this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, says John. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, this is not to depress you but to lift your eyes to greater things, to acknowledge your sin, the areas of self-dependence, not to be like the crowd to point at others, but to recognise your sins. Zacchaeus was a sinful man. Everyone knew that. So am I. Sins of commission, not following Jesus and his ways. I've, I've broken and I break his righteous laws. Sins of omission, I, I miss, I fail to live a life for Jesus. And I have done this week. It was great to hear Caroline talk about that area of control. The coronavirus has really, really helped her see the areas of life that she wanted to control. So similar for me. And say, Lord, sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to stop here, halfway through the talk. And here's the question that I'd love you to, to, to just ping around and talk amongst yourselves or, or even to just to text a friend and ask them this. It's a really hard question. Perhaps you've never done this. So I'd love you, here's, here's the question, it will appear on screen on the moment, to take time, stop and acknowledge your sin to God, but also acknowledge it, your sin to someone else. And ask a friend, a family member to help you identify the areas where you don't live for Jesus, where you're still self-dependent. For here's the first point. I am a great sinner. So go ahead and spend some moments doing that. Okay. Zacchaeus, a great sinner. Jesus, a great saviour. John Newton, the man, the hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace, he also said this, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner 
and Christ is a great saviour. Look, he sums up the simplicity of the gospel, the gospel in a nutshell. So back to the story, look at verse 5. Zacchaeus up a tree and Jesus stops at the tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I remember reading this story with Corabel a few years ago. And she asked this very simple question, as many children do. Why did Jesus stop? <laughs> I, I struggled to give an answer at first. Why did he stop? Why did Jesus stop there and then? But I think, looking into this story, there are three really good reasons why Jesus stopped. Three really good reasons that make Jesus a great saviour. Here's the first one. He is kind. Jesus is kind. Do you see in verse 5, he calls Zacchaeus by name. That's with affection. He singles him out and speaks to him directly. It's the call of the Saviour. Do you remember, if you are now a Christian, when he was calling you? I, I, I remember it, I've alluded to it just before, the summer uh, of... Uh, 1999 it was for me 20 years not 22 years I was 22 years old but it was 20 years ago apologies for that summer of 99 I remember he was calling me I remember singing a song in church oh let the praises of my heart be thine for Christ has died that I may call him mine he came calling for me so that I could call him mine, my friend, my Jesus, my saviour. And that's the thing. It was great listening to Greg last week. Remember? And he, and he asked some key questions of, of the text. And he said, look, if you're not a Christian, could it be that he's calling you? For the first time, or perhaps you've strayed in your Christian walk. Could it be that he's calling you by name? Come back. Come to me for the first time. Today he is calling. He is kind. And he knows you personally, as he did Zacchaeus up the tree. It's what makes Jesus a great saviour. One, he is kind and deals with you as you. Calls you by name. Look at the second reason uh, why Jesus is a great saviour. He is urgent. Verse 5, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. See, Jesus knows the urgency of the matter. For we know not what will happen in the future. But Jesus does. There's an urgency about responding to the call of Jesus. He's kind. He's kind in his urgency to Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house. <laughs> Look, Zacchaeus, I must do business with you. There is no other way. There is no other time. It must be now. Look, he's kind and yet he's urgent. And so again, for you, the call is stop putting him off. Put, stop putting off following Jesus. The call for you as a Christian, whether it be 10, 20, 30 years, get right with Jesus today, now. There's an urgency about this, to follow him, to make him Lord and Saviour of every part of life. Look, that's what makes Jesus a great Saviour. He's kind and he's urgent. 
Here's the third area. He's intentional. So very intentional. For he's come to seek and save. Save what was lost. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There it is. Verse 10. This simple statement of Jesus, of the essence of the gospel. Jesus is intentional. He came to seek and save. What did Zacchaeus do to earn this salvation? Nothing. Did Zacchaeus deserve it? No, we've already worked out that he was a great sinner. He was a cheat, a scoundrel, a liar. People knew that. And here salvation comes, a gift of grace. Zacchaeus receives friendship. He receives acceptance, even whilst he is still a sinner. He receives acceptance and friendship by the saviour of the world. Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I remember waking up one Sunday morning, heading to church, our old church in Oxford, Morning Road. I don't know what it was with Tommy that morning, but he came out with a statement and I wrote it down because I couldn't quite get my head around the audacity of the statement, three years old. Here's Tommy. Daddy, this morning I love everyone in the world, even you. Now, take that as you will, but it's a brilliant statement of the gospel. See what's happening with Zacchaeus. Jesus able to offer the gift of salvation even to Zacchaeus. A scoundrel, a cheat, a liar. Someone who had not acknowledged God as Lord and Saviour. And he was offering the gift of friendship. Even you, Zacchaeus. Even you, Lanks, even you, my dear friend at Town Church. And so this story is a little nutshell, an insight into precisely what Jesus will do in Jerusalem as he resolutely sets out, as he passes through Jericho en route to his mission. Oh, please don't lose the essence of the gospel Perhaps you're a Christian for years and years, as I know many of you are at Town Church, of course. And you're going, yeah, all right, and I've got this, and I've understood this, and I read this to my children recently. Give me something new, give me something fresh. And I'm saying, no, 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 get back to the heart of the gospel. It's been a lovely, telling and timely reminder for me to get back to the heart of the gospel. And so let's look at Zacchaeus, how he responds, because I think there's some really good things for us. What does a right response look like? The first time to respond to Jesus, but also daily response. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, let's look at Zacchaeus just for a few um, short minutes. First of all, verse six, he welcomes Jesus gladly and with joy. Can I ask how you're responding to Jesus today? Is it with joy? 
Is it with joy that you see yourself as one of his followers? Over the last few months, has joy been ripped out from you as you've, you've felt your loss of control in the circumstances? I wonder, does that need to change how you respond to Jesus today? In all the, the muddle and the mess of family situations, which, which are tough. Do you need a fresh vision of the Lord Jesus? Will you let him give you joy, pure joy? I'm really looking forward to a series in autumn. We're going to look at Philippians, where Paul drives through this aspect of joy in all situations. It's going to be a real test and challenge for me, for us at Town Church. Look, Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus with joy. First time and daily for me. I think that's a real challenge. Secondly, Zacchaeus, look, he recognises Jesus as Lord. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. He calls him Lord. He calls him the one who has authority over all things. I think that's a good question for me today. Does Jesus have authority over all things in your life today, Lanks, or just on a Sunday evening on Zoom? Or on YouTube as we are this Sunday. Does the Lord Jesus have authority over my finances today as we looked at last week? Does he over my relationships? Does he over my future? Do I need to stop today and recognise that he is Lord? That I am not independent. That I'm utterly dependent on him for all things. So submit to him. Bow the knee again in every area. Look, I'm enjoying reading this book uh, whilst on holiday. Peter Maiden, Radical Gratitude. Let me just read a quote from his book. He says, dependence and indebtedness are seen as weakness in this age of self-sufficiency. But the Christian understanding is countercultural. As Christians, we delight in our dependence and our indebtedness. As we praise God and as we pray to him, we express this. We are saying in effect, I need you. We don't say it with feelings of failure and regret, but in the certain knowledge that this is how God created us to be. And that is a privilege to live in this way. To recognise Jesus as Lord. We are totally dependent on him. I am today for all things. And then thirdly, the way that Zacchaeus responds. Look, with remorse and repentance. See what he says? Verse 8, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Look, this action, it doesn't make Zacchaeus a Christian. It doesn't. This is a response to being accepted by Jesus and acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. Look, he gives, he lives, Zacchaeus lives generously towards others. He writes his wrongs. He, he seeks forgiveness from others. He's intentional in seeking to do good to those around him. Can I ask how you're doing in this area? As I look in the mirror, how am I doing? Not for the approval of others around me, but because my heart is so grateful for being saved. That now I want to live differently with those around me. Colette him change you. 
That's what Jesus did, the great saviour with Zacchaeus. That great old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's get back to the heart of the essence of the gospel. Lost, found. Now I'm in Christ. But do you know what daily I can find myself veering off, being lost? Come back to him. Acknowledge my sin. Confess my sin. And what will he do? He'll forgive me. I'm found. I'm in him. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. Do you know the older I grow as a Christian, the more precious these words are. Not just when I was lost and found, but daily. As he is kind. He's kind to me today. He's kind and he's urgent and he's beckoning me. Come on, come back. And he's intentional. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that that was lost. Let's trust him and let's praise him for his goodness and grace. And we'll sing this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like Zacchaeus, saved a wretch like me, saved a wretch like you. For we have a great saviour. <laughs>